Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 1505. I didn't come here to finish second. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yeah. I am revved up and so excited to share with you today a very special guest by the name of Casey Putch. He's calling in from a beautiful a beautiful part of the country, if I could speak properly today. Casey Putch is the founder and president of Genius Garage. It's a 501c3 public educational charity centered around hands-on automotive engineering, design, and history. After college, he started Putch Racing, a facility for high-end road racing, preparation, and automotive restoration with a solid foundation of hands-on fabrication, engineering, art, and design. Casey has created a fan base on social media for his exciting personal stories and automotive adventures. Some of his builds include the world's only turbine-powered Batmobile. That sounds cool. Omega Car high-end efficiency prototype, which we're going to learn a lot more about. He was awarded the President's Lifetime Achievement Award in Education and was honored to fly with the United States Air Force Thunderbirds. I'm jealous for his work in mentoring young people. We'll be right back to talk to Casey. But first, a word from our valued sponsors that make Cars Yeah possible. We'll be right back. Hey, Cars Yeah, I'm a huge fan of Covercraft. I've protected my vehicles with their products for decades. Want to keep your vehicle's interior looking new? It's easy with Covercraft seat covers. They'll protect your seats from the daily abuse of pets, children, weekend adventures, and even those everyday spills. It's a fast, easy, and inexpensive way to keep your vehicle looking new. All Covercraft seat covers are easy-on, easy-off design that are machine washable. You can choose from many fabric options, colors, and accessories, all designed and carefully sewn for your special vehicles. Their seat gloves are semi-custom fit for cars and trucks, and their seat savers, a favorite of mine, are custom-tailored to fit your seats like a glove. Work truck seat covers are tough, durable, denim-weight fabric. It's like putting a pair of rugged jeans on your truck's seats. Want to stay warm? Covercraft also offers seat heaters. Covercraft is the right choice. Learn more today at Covercraft.com and tell them Mark at Cars Yeah sent you. That's Covercraft.com. Are you a Cars Yeah subscriber? If you're not, go to CarsYeah.com, click on the free book button, and I'll send you my free filler-up book. It's a very cool book I created of fuel filler fun, some very cool imagery, and great quotes from past guests here on Cars Yeah. Plus, you'll get my weekly email follow-up and my weekly blog. Just go to CarsYeah.com, click on the free book button, and I'll send it to you right away. Thanks for subscribing. All right, Casey, we are back. Oh, man, I want to jump into that Batmobile. Are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? Always. Yeah, I kind of think you are, the kind of guy you are. Uh, Let's get started by having you tell our listeners maybe one little thing about yourself that most people don't know. Well, you're editing this, right? Can we back up? For some reason, that one tripped me up. Why did the first one trip me up? (laughs) It always does. You did ask that, didn't you? Wasn't that that was on here? (laughs) Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> that's okay. Tell me that's... what most people don't know about you. That's right. Forgive me. Yeah, no, that's okay. 
I, you know, I like to do it this way because it's it's kind of breaks the ice a little bit. It, it, it you does, know, you share it. a secret with me, a little secret with the audience. So uh, I think the one thing that most people don't know about me or is astonished is everyone thinks I'm wealthy. Okay. Based upon the vehicles I've driven, the adventures I've had, and the things I, I do, uh, the general populace sees what I've done and just assumes it had to come from lots of money. And Probably because of your age, you're a young guy, right? You know, you got some cool cars, you got like a few, yeah. yeah, a few. So, I mean, that's kind of the usual assumption, but yes, uh, you're somewhat self-made, I assume. Yes, it would be lovely if there was a, a magic money tree in the backyard, but yeah. there's not. <laughs> I've been looking for that tree for a long time. <laughs> yeah, really, that just comes from you know wanting something out of life that isn't just necessarily accumulating, but um, wanting experiences, wanting to go somewhere, having certain standards, wanting to create and finding a path to get there. And as just a small note, I find that something that young people never seem to learn is the value of a dollar, even if it's not in front of your face. Like if you buy something, is it going to be worth what you bought it for or more? Or you're just buying something and throwing your money away. And is it okay to do that? But if you're doing that, why are you doing that? Uh, I've been able to do a, a, a lot with a very little. And uh, I think that's the one thing people just don't know about me is they always assume I'm wealthy. Yeah, Which well, sometimes it's funny, actually. But <laughs> Well, I, you know, I think it's cool. And you, you said something really valuable here. There's a little bit of a golden nugget. I think we're going to see a few of these today. And that is the value of a dollar. And I tried to teach my children this. They're adults now and they're out and doing well. Is, you know, we carry around this little plastic card and we just think it's the money tree, right? And people use it and they don't think about for a moment before they do. And I've always told my kids, carry some cash in your pocket. It feels very different handing over a $20 bill for a 5 or $6 cup of coffee than an imaginary piece of plastic, which is just, it'll show up later. And the other problem with that, of course, is when you get that monthly bill, you go, oh my gosh, what what have I been buying? 100%. You know? Yeah, yeah. You're, you're exactly right. I, I think if you run a small business, you, you become very acutely aware of expenditures and values and things like that. But you're, you're absolutely right about carrying a little cash, just so you have the feeling of the meaning of that, because you're tangibly giving something over. Uh, and there's a huge value to that. Um, the other thing, too, is for young people is um, just don't carry a credit card. Carry a debit card. Right. Comes right out of your pocket. Yeah. Or the other thing I've said is carry large bill denominations. You're a lot less likely to part with a 50 or or $100 bill than a $1 bill. You really are. I mean, you look at it and you just go, I don't want to break this. You're exactly right. I mean, I mean, obviously, there are times in life where you, you may have some sort of loan or an investor because your work and your effort and your planning will uh, pay off much greater than whatever the interest is. But at the, at the same time, too, the old adage that goes back to my World War II grandfather would say, he's like, if you don't have the money in your pocket, don't spend it. Yeah, because you like, don't have it. Don't go yeah. in debt. I, I think that's like one of Warren Buffett's first rules. It's like, don't <laughs> yeah, and he's done pretty well, I think. He's kind yeah. of figured it out. So, yeah. well, as we continue on this journey we call your life, I want to ask you for a success quote or a mantra. This is some kind of saying that's been perhaps valuable in your world. It's a nice way to get the inspirational tire spinning here on cars. Yeah. So, Casey, grab the wheel. I didn't come here to finish second. Nice. That's that's it. I, I don't that that could be something that somebody could flippantly say is kind of cocky. Uh, I don't mean it that way because there's a thought behind it. Obviously, I love racing. I come from that world. 
It means a lot to me. I love the tooth and nail fighting. I love raucous, nasty vintage machines that are hot and difficult and, you know, wild and woolly to drive. I just, I just like that. That's, that's kind of my sport. But the thought of, I didn't come here to finish second is if you know what the race is and you know, all the potential cars in the group, you know, what your objective is, you know, what you have to do. Therefore, there's going to be one better or best directions to go. And then it's how you apply your resources and effort in the best way possible to, to make it work based upon resources and such, you may not have the best of everything, but you can be the best leader and put in the best effort. And if you continually put in the best effort and, um, you know, the best leader and bring it all together and you keep yourself in check, you're going to find yourself on the winner's circle a lot. Right. You know, your, your comment reminds me of my father and my regular listeners have heard this. So I bear with me, regular listeners, but I think it's important And that is my dad always taught me when you go to work somewhere, and this started when I was young, of course, pretend like you're the boss of that company. Behave like the boss of that company because typically a boss will behave like the winner. He didn't come there every day to lose. He didn't invest all of his energy and money in his business to lose. He comes in every day to win. And so I did that throughout my life. I always thought that there's a piece of trash in the hallway. You stop and pick it up. You don't leave it there. Would you leave that lane in your house right. if there was a piece of trash. So go in as a winner. I, I like that in the, the comparison to racing is is very valuable. Yeah. And it, it's um you know it's still a sport and you still love the battle and you have fun with it in that way. But at the same time you, you understand it's and, and that's a great adage you mentioned about uh you know coming in there with the mindset of the boss. Not necessarily to tell people what to do if that's not your place of course, but just that you have a uh, stakehold in the place you're working at. You care a little bit more than just checking out mentally and physically at five o'clock, you know? Yeah, behave as the boss would behave. So everything is important. Everything matters. And you want to treat other coworkers as much as you want to be treated by the boss. So treat them the way you think the boss should treat them, respect them, work with them, support them, all those types of things. And especially with the customer. Yeah. Uh, oh, so fantastic advice. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He was full of a lot of great advice. So I really appreciate <laughs> what he offered fun. me. Yeah. Could you share with us a little more or a lot more about what has you excited and fired up today? One of the reasons we got together is this uh, Genius Garage business you have in the Omega car, because I saw a press release by Tom that sent me and I got really intrigued by it. And I went, I got to talk to this guy, Casey, about this car. I think it's really cool what he's doing. So Let our listeners know more about this new venture, uh, what you guys are up to. Okay. Well, there's a a quick little separation I should preface this with. So Genius Garage is the 501c3 uh, high-end educational program, primarily for collegiate engineers. Um, And what Genius Garage does, it gives them all the hands-on real-world application of their theory that you frankly can't get in the academic vacuum. Industry is not really set up to give and train students that way. So it's really the missing piece between academia and industry. And in Genius Garage, we do high-end projects that might be uh, racing cars or vintage racing cars and building. We might build an airplane like we have a Sopwith Camel biplane, a full-scale flying pterosaur, stuff like that. So those are the Genius Graduated projects. The Omega Car project you mentioned is one of my personal projects. I just wanted to say that because I do crazy projects also, but they may not be Genius Garage's crazy projects. Yeah, like the flying dinosaur. (laughs) Correct, Um, which maybe we'll come back to uh, for a little Contact. But the Omega Car prototype was something I uh, realized a number of years back. There's a 
there's a there's quite a number of ways to produce more sustainable and if not completely sustainable, but at least lower environmental impact manufacturing techniques that could utilize in the automotive industry. It's also my, I wouldn't say opinion because it's fact, <laughs> but my observation that the automotive industry and how we build cars really, really hasn't changed much since the mid-1930s. There's still stamp steel boxes with chairs bolted in them. And there's not much of anything efficient about cars. I mean, there just isn't. <laughs> there's just a laundry list. So it was my endeavor and effort uh, some years ago that I wanted to build a prototype car that would represent a number of different manufacturing techniques, uh, mass manufacturing techniques that, like I said, could be lower environmental impact, cheaper, quicker to produce, perhaps sustainable, recyclable. Uh, you know, depending on the direction you go, and if it's biological-based materials or polymers or metals. And so I built a prototype car because I wanted to show people that it isn't just finding a magic bullet of a power source or powertrain. Everybody wants to argue about finding a magic engine or an electric motor, electric car, when it's it's the rolling chassis, it's the cars that are so inefficient in the manufacturing in many ways. So I wanted to change that. And the Omega car is something that represents just that. So the prototype that I built is a um, rather attractive, I may say so, rather streamlined two-seat uh, sports car prototype. And it, it had to be a sports car because, let's face it, this is America, and nobody cares how brilliant something is unless it's pretty. and <laughs> has a little effect of feel, you know. And actually, the prototype I powered by turbo diesel because it would be much easier for people to wrap their head around uh, miles to the gallon rather than the efficiency of a car if it's electric. So the first prototype I did with turbo diesel, and I'll be uh, running that this summer, I think. Very cool. It's a fascinating looking design. Where did that come from? The design, when you said, where did it come from? It, I would say this. Why did you say, where did it come from? Because it really has nothing to do with fashion. It had everything to do with literally form following function. And I kind of hate to say that because any kid that gets their first year in design school just goes all nuts about saying that and thinking they know about design. But really, I, I designed the entire car around where the wheels sit, what the drivetrain is, where it is, what its needs are for cooling, what its needs are for aerodynamics, what it's what your needs are for visual acuity of the driver, and then the other um, you know legality aspects and functionality aspects of you know lights, markers, doors, etc. So in a matter of speaking, ninety seven percent of the car's design designed itself when I just laid out the constraints, and you know the other three percent was my own artistic license. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Cool. I think it's great. Well, let's take a look at some of the roads you've driven down and talk about a big challenge or a big failure you faced. And I like this question, not to drum up maybe a painful part of your life, but it's more about what the learned lesson was and how you came out of that in a positive way. So walk us down a path. Certainly there's been, um, I don't know, failure is a funny word. I don't really like the word because I think if somebody really failed, then they weren't paying attention and seeing signs. But I think life has a great way of smacking you in the face. <laughs> it <laughs> does, hard, doesn't right? it? Yeah. Or you find or things just don't work the way you thought they did. Okay. And um, I think one of the biggest hurdles I've had to overcome and biggest difficulties was in creating Genius Garage. And it had nothing to do with the formula. The formula worked since day one. It was an effective program for students that got amazing jobs. It was repeatable. But what I could never figure out is I could not get any media attention for it. 
We had like the best underdog story in the world. I had college kids competing at Indianapolis with their own IndyCar. No one would write an article. I could not get TV to care, radio, nothing, which blew me away because, you know, a few years before, uh, you know, I built one silly Batmobile replica, put a Vietnam era turbine engine in it. It goes viral around the world. It's on like BBC World and people are calling me going, I just saw you on TV in England. I'm like, it's a silly car. What? You know? So I couldn't figure it out. And honestly, the great success that the Batmobile had going viral was something that was um, eye-opening to me uh, and a great learning experience in a positive way. But then afterward became a great learning experience for me in a, oh my God, I can't make this work anymore. What is going, how do you play this game kind of a way? If, does that, that make sense? And afterward, I did a number of other interesting builds and never really got any you know, notoriety, couldn't really get any exposure. And then when it was doing Genius Scratch, I'm like, okay, this just doesn't add up. This is the story and this is the thing that th this should be in every everything everywhere. So cutting to the chase, what I came to realize with this great difficulty or strife trying to figure out how to get exposure for good things was the massive divide we have between and the change of media right now. Over from the traditional ways, which was, you know, TV, cable, radio, print. <laughs> I mean, whether it's magazines and circulation and newspaper, you know, all of the mainstay original media things you think of in the, the 20th century to the nature of the Internet now. And interacting with those two things, getting them to mesh where they can, realizing they're totally separate entities. And I hate to say it, but like, connecting with and getting exposure from them in different places works completely differently. And the sad thing about it is there's no user manual to this. <laughs> no. And <unless laughs> just when they write one, it's obsolete. <laughs> right. And of course, there'd be places that could maybe tell you, but uh, they'd be very, very expensive. <laughs> so for a young person finding these things out, that was uh, that was one of my greatest hurdles where life really smacked me in the face is just learning when you're doing something that needs to be aware and for you know for genius garage the world needed to know you know i had to had to get this out there was just learning just how hugely uh media and communication has changed and uh how to how to interact with that so that that's that's been that's been a huge thing uh it's been exciting to figure it out and start to understand it a little bit but wow you know it was um it was definitely um a, a cold shower kind of a thing years sure. ago. Well, yeah. when you figure that out, give me a call because I could use some advice. So <laughs> Fair enough, fair <laughs> enough. Let me know how to make that work. We're going to take a short break here. Thank our sponsors. We'll be right back. My favorite collector car magazine is Keith Martin's Sports Car Market. I've been a subscriber for decades. Sports Car Market is the Wall Street Journal for the enthusiast and the collector. It's your monthly must-read whether you dream of owning a collector car have two cars or 200. Sports Car Market has been around for 31 years, and it's filled with valuable articles, intelligent write-ups, and the latest auction sales. Go to sportscarmarket.com and subscribe today. Plus, you'll get the exclusive SEM guide to restoration shops included for free. At checkout, use the code CARSYEAH and receive a 50% discount on your digital subscription. It's an exclusive offer from me here at Cars Yeah. I'm Mark Green, and I love Sports Car Market Magazine. Are you looking for a way to get your products or services into the ears of thousands of automotive enthusiasts around the globe? I can help. 
This is Mark Green here at Cars Yeah, and I'd be honored to be an influencer and ambassador for your brand in a unique and personal way. Five days a week, thousands of subscribers and listeners enjoy the Cars Yeah podcast and website. Contact me today and I'll show you how at mark at carsyeah.com or connect with me through the Cars Yeah website at carsyeah.com. If you're listening to Cars Yeah, you've probably spent some time working on your favorite ride. But how confident are you working on your finances? You may be able to rebuild a fuel injection system, but can you decipher the details of a mutual fund? If you're like me, investments, insurance, annuities, budgeting, and other financial concepts may seem a bit daunting. But what if I told you there's a book that describes these subjects and more in an easy-to-read and a very humorous way? My friend Chris Kimball, CFP, a longtime sponsor and past guest here on Cars has written that book, and it's titled The Saga of Ike and Penny, a couple's humorous journey through the confusing world of finance. It's a fun look at things you need to know, everything from investing to effective ways to get rid of credit card debt, and it's probably the only book on finance with a VMAX on the front cover and a classic Mini Cooper on the back. The book's available at Amazon for just $10, and this book will dramatically improve the direction of your financial future. I gave copies to each of my children. All securities are through Money Concepts Capital Corp. Christopher Kimball Financial Services is not affiliated with Money Concepts Capital Corp. Get your copy, The Saga of Ike and Penny, today. All right, we're back. Uh, let's have you share a story with me that instigated your personal passion for cars. You're sitting in a room here talking to me with a motorcycle over your right shoulder. Yeah. And I've seen some <laughs> shot uh, pictures. We'll put it on your show notes page on the Carsia website of your garage with some very cool race cars and the Batmobile and other things. When in your life did you realize that you were indeed a car guy? Um, I don't think there was ever a time that I realized I was a car guy. I just never knew I wasn't. <laughs> Great answer. Uh, you know, my some of my earliest memories that really cemented, I think, these things, well, of cars. And if I may preface it, you know, before I was really into cars, I loved animals and trains. You know, every little kid loves nature and animals, of course. And I still do, naturally. But I, I find that, um, you know, men especially as they grow or car guys, gearheads, etc., we love you know, what do we love? We love cars, but we also like motorcycles. We like bicycles, trains, watches, you know, gears, things that move and do, right? The, the early memories, my, my dad was a, a bit of a car collector and enthusiast. He didn't race, but um, he had a 1967 small block Corvette, Marine Blue Roadster. And he had a Ford Model A two-door when I was a little kid. Then he got more into British stuff. Got a uh, Morgan uh, 4.4. Still has that and a number of other things. But the early memories were, for instance, that 67 Corvette. I mean, I was barely old enough to not be in a car seat, probably, <laughs> you know. And I remember sitting in the front seat of it and he had the top down. And we had to be, I'm guessing based upon this and what I vaguely remember from what gear he was in and such, that we were doing over 100 miles an hour. But I just remember the sound and then, of course, the feeling of that powering of air. Right. Uh, from that. And that was a big early memory. I'm like, whoa, you know, <laughs> and, uh, that was something I didn't, I didn't know if I necessarily liked it, but I was like, Ooh, <laughs> you know, that's, that's something. I was also really into slot cars as a small a child. Uh, you know, I'm a bit younger. I was born in 81. So the toys we had were HO scale, 
which were not as cool as like the 1960s slot cars, the big ones, the commercial ones. But just loved slot cars as a kid, loved building radio control cars as a kid. So that that really built that as a child because I got to do all the same stuff as a child, but then go for rides in the real cars with my dad. So that's really what what stoked that uh, flame and then uh, created all of this insanity that I am today. <laughs> just a just a little bit. What was your first really special vehicle? That first vehicle you got that you went, man, I wanted this. Now I got it. Well, I, I had a different one in mind, but I think based upon the way you phrase that, the car that I remember when I finally got, I was 20 years old. And uh, I legitimately could not sleep all night the first night. I had it. I'm like, oh, my God, I, I'm getting up in the morning. It's going to be so sweet. <laughs> and I'm sure a lot of your listeners are going to go like, oh, you're kidding me, depending on their generation. But a DeLorean. A DeLorean. Wow. I'm so excited. Oh, my God, man. Um, other than my Dodge Viper, which I've had now for about 10 years, the DeLorean was the longest car I ever owned. And it was the longest car that I owned as my only daily driver, like four seasons, everything. Drove it for three years. Wow, good for you. It was back when I was in college. I just loved that it was an Ital design body. I thought the stainless steel was so cool. I just I just I really loved automotive design. And I think that school of folded paper, sort of seventies and eighties, you know, Italian Bertone, uh Ital design, uh, et cetera, it was just so cool. And um, you know, I wasn't afflicted by uh the being kind of the baby boomer generation and the media beating up on the company and John DeLorean also being a kid, I saw the car for what it was in terms of the engineering. Right. Yeah. And then I saw like the little things about it that weren't quite that great. So I just fixed it and made it better and got to enjoy a really cool Gullwing stainless steel Italian design car. Yeah. Well, I think you're one of the first people to answer with that vehicle as well, a, a answer to that question. That was, that's pretty unique for a college kid to be driving around in for sure. It, it was it was very cool. And uh, one little college story with it was I thought I was so cool because uh, DeLorean's fairly low stock. They're like 44 inches low. So that's decently low. Yeah. And uh, I realized that I could drive underneath the parking gate for the school parking. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that was sweet until I realized I busted off my uh, antenna. <laughs> oh, yeah. Not so but, sweet. Uh, I still thought I was cool. <laughs> there you go. Well, how about this? If you woke up tomorrow and Casey was a vehicle. You are actually manifested as a vehicle, not what you want to be, but how you perceive yourself as a vehicle. That puts a twist on it. What would Casey be and why? You know, that is a brilliantly difficult question for me because (laughs) I hate to say it this way, but I've never thought to compare myself to an inanimate object. Well, of course, that's that's why I asked the question. It's rather unique. (laughs) <laughs> Which is also funny because I, I tend to put personalities on cars so much and see them for far more than uh, being yeah. just a mechanical thing. You know, I thought about that and I have two answers. And so the okay. readers can choose what they maybe or the listeners can uh, choose better. Yeah. The first one I thought of was Alonsia Stratos. Ooh, I like it. The reason being is they um, they're fairly versatile in performance cars. They weren't fat, so to speak. They didn't have like giant engines. They didn't have lots of superfluous things going on. They weren't big, but they weren't small. Uh, They just got the job done. Were they perfect for any one thing or everything? Not necessarily, (laughs) but they were, uh, they were neat cars. They were road raced in different forms. They were, you know, rally raced and driven on the street. Yeah. And beyond that, they're, um, you know, they're kind of weird and eccentric and rare. And I'm probably weird and eccentric <laughs> and rare too. 
There you go. There's uh, honesty. So, but you said there was a second one, perhaps. It, it, I thought about this because um, I have a, a 97 Dodge Viper uh, GTS. It's a blue yeah. with white stripes one. Put a lot of miles on it. It'd be more. But there was um, a couple of years when someone pulled out in front of me and the car got wrecked. Uh, it oh, wasn't no. my fault, actually. But oh. I was the first guy to wreck a Dodge Viper where it wasn't my fault, right? <laughs> but okay. um and then uh, you, you don't drive it in winter because you just don't. But right. that car has really become kind of synonymous with my personality and driving it. And I've had it long enough that it's um, it's sort of modified and taken on that personality. And now I, I just I think it basically is my personality at this point. So Sometimes cars become that if we're so ingrained in them, invested in them, and we enjoy them so much. Yeah. I, for me, it's the same with me. I'm a 911. I've, yeah. been, I've loved them my whole life. They just, when I look at them, they just look right to me. They, I fit well in them, everything about them. So, uh, you know, I understand. And and I have a picture of you with your Dodge Viper with a dinosaur on the roof. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Would you like a quick... Uh, yeah. What What's the deal with that? <laughs> Yo, what's the deal with the dinosaur on your car? Yeah. Um, well... I just wanted to show up all the guys at uh, Pebble Beach with their hood ornaments in the 30s. I was feeling... Uh, okay. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> um, it, it, for everybody out there, um, perhaps you um, remember in the 1980s, there was a man by the name of Paul McCready who did the Gossamer Albatross and Gossamer Condor. Those were human-powered airplanes uh, that were peddled across the English Channel. Okay. Um, and in the 80s, he got a uh, commission or something from the Smithsonian Channel and sponsored by S.C. Johnson Wax to build a half-scale uh, flying model of the Quetzalcoatlus pterosaur, which was the largest flying species of pterosaurs uh, before the dinosaurs died out. The most reasonable estimates, uh, largest estimates without being over the top, because there's always people that estimate fossils too far, is that they had a 38-foot wingspan approximately, wow. between 37 and 40 feet. Um, and I, um, I'm a creative type person, you know, engineering design, that sort of thing. So I, I can't really shut off thinking about things and solving problems, even if there's no problems to solve. And, uh, that was something I remember from when I was a kid, I was very inspired by, I started seeing what I could do with carbon fiber as well as some, um, some interesting, um, high-tech materials. And I thought the wing membranes and the biomechanics of them was fascinating. So long story short, I built a full-scale flying pterosaur. It has a 38-foot wingspan. We tethered it back to the Ford F-350 Dually to fly it um, at a friend's farm. Um, and that was one of the most exciting and scary things I've ever done for the nature of science and because it was cool. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was uh, really exciting. And the uh, pterosaur is pictured there on top of my Dodge Viper because I was I was considering using the Viper as a launch vehicle initially uh -huh. before I realized this thing is way bigger than my Dodge Viper. <laughs> yeah. So um, building a giant cradle for the back of the uh, Ford truck uh, made more sense. <laughs> what a story. I'm glad I asked that question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When I first got that picture, I'm like, what on earth is that on the top of the Viper? I thought it was something in the background. It was shot. With, and all of a sudden, yeah. I realized, he's got a pterosaurus on his. I'll arm. give you an example. The the Sopwith Camel biplane I built with the students is full scale. You know, the the uh, the biplane that was the most successful in the World War II for the, or World War One, excuse me, for the Allies. Sure. Uh, it has a 28-foot wingspan. The pterosaur has a 38-foot wingspan. Yeah, it's, yeah, huge. Yeah. yeah uh, Mind-boggling when you think of those animals. It looks great hanging from the ceiling at Genius Garage, I'll tell you uh, that. It does look very cool. Yeah, I was envisioning that in my living room here, but I don't know if it would fit. <laughs> We'd have to clip its wings. 
So Casey, up next is what we call, or I call the last lap. I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some quick blips of that Viper, Lanchiostratos, or wing flaps, that pterosaurus. Yeah. Are you ready to go? That sounds great. Hit me. <laughs> okay. What's one of your personal habits you believe has contributed to your many successes over the years? I can't not tie up loose ends. Ah, okay. And nothing wrong with that. How about if I could arrange for you to sit down and have a meal or a drink with anyone in the automotive industry, living or deceased, who would it be? I can't do just one, so I'm going to give you three. Oh, that's a party. Bob Lutz, Elon Musk, and Dan Gurney. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. I like that group. That would be, I'd, yeah, sit back and be a fly in the wall for those guys. No, I would want to engage them with the drinks and serious questions. <laughs> there you go. Very cool. Yeah. How about the best automotive advice someone else has given you? Uh, pigs get fat and hogs get slaughtered. <laughs> you know what? I've used that term many, many times. Ah. And, it, and it works too. Yeah. Yep, yep. Yeah, absolutely. How about a resource? Is there one that you think our listeners might tap into that's a go-to for you? You know, my go-to and, and seeing where the uh, future and automotive things are headed um, really comes down to YouTube. It, uh, you really get a, an immediate way to see and read the pulse of what's happening in the future. Um, up-and-coming influencers, hearing amazing stories, and, and just staying connected. And if you can uh, take the time to search and hunt for people you find interesting to follow, it, it can be a lot of fun. Yeah, it's fascinating what you can learn. I think you could per probably learn how to extract your own teeth on YouTube. I'd probably do <laughs> you it. probably if, can. That's if, a little creepy, but I bet you can. If you are so inclined. How about a book? Is there a book you've read you think our listeners should crack open and read? You know, I'm not going to relate to just one, but I do have a little trick relating to books that I think is brilliant. Okay. Find antique bookstores in smaller towns that are closer to bigger towns. Okay. Because why is that? Because books written long ago that aren't necessarily popular today or, and I'm air quoting here, censored today will give you wisdom from the past that maybe has been pushed aside or forgotten. Ah, interesting. And absolutely brilliant words from the past still hold true today. And I find it uh, a fascinating way to find those forgotten voices. Ah, very nicely said. You know, you remind me a bit of my son in saying that because he's just a voracious reader, as is my wife and my daughter. And he loves to do just that go into old bookstores and in weird places. And, you know, whenever we've been able to travel together and when I was younger and he was a kid, he'd go on a lot of road trips with me. We'd go on rallies and tours in my old cars and we'd be in some place. He'd go, wait, stop. There's a bookstore there. And he'd go back and, you know, yeah. his, his library is, is so big. It doesn't fit into his little place in San Francisco. So most of me. it's, most of it's still here. So I can tap into some of that fun stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Very nicely said. I'll uh, remind you, listeners, you can find all these great resources that Casey's been so good to share on his Cars Yeah show notes page. Just go to CarsYeah.com, type in Casey Putcha, P-U-T-S-C-H, put your money where your mouth is. I like that. So Casey Putcha, uh, put it right there and you will be happy. All right, Casey, we're up to the checkered flag. This last question can be a bit of a doozy, but it's a fun thought. But it's going to be a challenge for you, and here's why. I'm going to buy you any cool collector vehicle in the world. Park it in your garage. But here's the kicker. You can't sell it to buy a bunch of other cars with or launch some new adventure. You have to drive it. No garage queens. But this is the part that could be hard. It's the only one collector car you can own. All the other have to go away. 
So you can either keep a car you have or I'll buy you something today. What's it going to be? Okay, so th- this is my only interesting car. So I have yeah. to have something boring if I want to drive it in the snow or something like that. Or Well, you know. no, we don't want boring. I-, I say collector car. You can keep your, if your Viper is your daily driver, keep okay. it. I'm okay. good with that. But this is All something right. special that puts a smile on your face that you go out and enjoy. Probably not on a snowy day, but I don't know. Maybe you want a snowmobile. I'd- I'll buy you one of those. <laughs> <laughs> Tell you what. It's one of two things, so I'll let you pick for me since you're buying. How All right. You? There you go. Th- these two things are classic. I'd, l- I'd like to be more of a hipster and say something other people wouldn't think of, but yeah. eh, there's something about these two cars. Okay. Pontoon Fendered 1958 Testarossa. Okay. TR. Or okay. a big, nasty 1920s Bentley. Okay. Now, that's interesting. Two very different rides. Very yeah. different rides. Like a blower Bentley? It doesn't necessarily need to be a blower, but yeah, that, you know, that Lamar kind of body style. A blower if you're feeling, if you're feeling really gracious. (laughs) Well, of course, I'm always feeling gracious here on Cars, yeah, because I want to put a smile on people and inspire them. Wow. So I get to choose. Well, this is interesting. Well, most of my listeners are going to know exactly where I'm going to go with this because I'm, I'm a big into the era baby boomer guy. You know, I'm starting to see on social media these derogatory comments yeah boomer what the hell's happening with that (laughs) well that's snot nosed kids and that that's for anybody over the age of 30 i hate to say oh i learned that too oh okay well just a way of saying okay yeah it sounds a lot like a teenager looking at a parent rolling their eyes is what it sounds like to me the the whole separate topic but there is a little something i I hinted on earlier about the disconnect between media the old media and new media. Right. And, it's, and that's also where the okay boomer versus young people are right now. Yeah. And there's ways to connect. It, it's okay. But anyway, you were saying. So I would hope so. So, I mean, I love these old Bentleys. I got to spend uh, a whole day last April at the La Jolla Concours riding around with some friends of mine in a 32 Bentley, open top car. The gentleman who was so kind to bring it to the event drove all the way from Northern California. 500 plus miles or something down to La Jolla. The next day drove it all over San Diego, La Jolla with three of us crammed into this thing. Took it to a Concorde the next day and then drove it home that night through Los Angeles Sunday night traffic. This guy's crazy, but he's a true enthusiast. So I, I gained an even bigger appreciation. However, <laughs> the Italian design being a boomer. The 50s and 60s sports cars are where my heart really lives. Um, I've been, I've never been able to drive a TR, but I've sat in them. I've gotten a ride in one. That's the car I'm going to buy you today. I'm sorry. I'll, all my older buddies are going to go, Mark, what are you doing? Uh, I love the Bentleys. No disrespect, but you know what? I mean, you can't go wrong with a, with a Testarossa, right? The red well, hand. I will gladly accept your apology and your Ferrari Tessarossa, sir. <laughs> well, okay. You know, a couple of years ago on the lawn at Pebble, they had a whole gaggle of them all lined yes. up. And they all went on a nice tour after that for a week and drove them. And I was hoping somebody would invite me to come with them. But <laughs> they all they only have two seats and they all had uh, passengers. So I didn't get to join them. But uh, those cars are special. I've got a great picture of my son when he was only about two years old because I got to spend a week with one. We borrowed one from a gentleman and used it in a photo shoot, and he left it in our left it in our garage. So I got to crawl around. I didn't drive it because I just didn't 
want to risk that. And that, this was back yeah, when they were kind of a liability, aren't they? Well, even back then when they weren't close to a million dollars, now they're way above that. But, uh, you know, there's something about that body design that is so different, so unique, yeah. sexy, sleek, the V12. How could you go wrong? Um, yeah. So I, I think that's the car you need to have. So, uh, very, ooh, it is very raw in a sensual way. In many ways. It's you just, know? yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, fascinating car. So I'd be happy to get to work and get one of those parked in your, your garage. <laughs> Casey, you've taken me on a fun ride today, my friend. I knew this would be a blast. I really enjoyed getting to know you a little bit better. I want to thank you for sharing some time before you drive off in that beautiful Testarossa. Could you share maybe one little Pearl of wisdom, piece of guidance for those listeners out there. As he leans back and takes a breath. <laughs> Long breath. <laughs> well, we're on Skype today, so I have the pleasure of getting to look at Casey. Uh, so I'm giving you a little blow by blow as he really ponders this question. My best piece of wisdom as a 38-year-old man to everyone out there that I think I realized really early on before I did Genius Garage. It doesn't matter how many or how expensive your, how many cars you may have or how expensive they may be at any given time. You can't take them with you when you're gone. So if you didn't find a way to make them matter or you didn't find a way to make young people care about them to where they'll genuinely want to do something with them in the future, then did they matter at all? There you go. Nicely said. How can people follow along with you and learn more about what you're doing there at Genius Garage? Well, of course, you can uh, go to GeniusGarageRacing.com. There's even a donation link on there. The easiest way, though, to follow is my YouTube channel, which is simply Casey Putch or Casey Putch on Instagram. And, of course, Genius Garage is on Instagram as well. But I tend to be the most active on social media. So you can find out what's going on there as well as watch on with our student builds, such as this year we're actually going to be building a Lycan Hypersport using the only Lycan body ever to leave the molds, which was part of the Fast and the Furious live show. And we're actually going to be cutting up a Porsche Boxster and using its guts to build our own car. So if you nice. want to follow along, Casey <laughs> Butch on YouTube. Nice a gut and our, a guts, I should say. And I'll remind you, uh, his last name is spelled P-U-T-S-C-H, so that you find him there. But you know what? Just come to the Cars yeah website. Type his name, Casey, in the search bar. That page will pop up with links to all those social media platforms. So I encourage you to follow this young man. I'm going to call you a young man because that's what you are. I don't like to think I am. From this side of the fence. <laughs> I so uh, I think you'll have a lot of fun. Uh, the ingenuity and creativity and mentoring and everything there is fabulous what you're doing, Casey. Listeners, again, check it all out on the Cars yeah website. Follow this guy. Casey, thanks for being so generous today with your time, your expertise, and for sharing your experiences with the Cars yeah audience. Until you and I talk again, my friend, I'll see you down the road. Thank you, sir. You're welcome. Hey, Cars Yeah listeners. This is Mark Green. If you love the Cars Yeah podcast, I have something new for you. I've teamed up with Keith Martin, a collector car market expert and the editor of Sports Car Market Magazine to create the Buy, Sell, Hold podcast. Buy, Sell, Hold is the essence of collecting. Together, we take you on an educational ride into the collector car market, talking with industry experts, helping you navigate your collector car journey so you know when to buy, sell, hold. We talk with seasoned experts, 
who buy, sell, and hold investment vehicles, and they'll share their insider secrets on how they make their buying decisions when it comes to making these important investments. You'll find the Buy, Sell, Hold podcast on the Cars yeah! website, on the Sports Car Market website, and if you're a podcast app subscriber to Cars yeah! Buy, Sell, Hold will come right to your mobile device, just like the Cars yeah! podcast, automatically. Join Keith Martin and me on a great new venture on the Buy, Sell, Hold podcast today. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah. Yeah.